This is London. You are listening to Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome to another Thought and Leaders global podcast. This week, we're joined by an exceptional person who understands not what we say, but what we don't say by how we say it using our body language. Now, hold on a minute. That's a convoluted sentence, if ever there was. To explain the whole thing, say hello to David Stevens. Hello, David. Yeah, good morning, Jonathan. How are you today? Yes, it's morning here because you are on the other side of the world. What what, what time is it there now? That's right. Here in Australia, it is uh, about uh, half past six in the evening. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us an elevator pitch. I was an officer in the military for a period of time before moving into our public service, in which I did a number of different national security and international relation type jobs. As part of that, I got to uh, do a lot of international negotiations, looking after our defence relationships with many other countries, including the US, uh, you know, countries in Southeast Asia. And during that time, I really became fascinated with negotiations and communication and how we can do that better. So as a result of that, I started studying in a lot more depth, nonverbal communication, body language, facial expressions, as well as languages as well, because you can you can tell a lot from language. And as a result, I uh, eventually uh, moved out of public service into started my own company and partnered with a couple of people, one of them being Joe Navarro over in uh, the US, who's the father of body language. He's uh, got a lot of best-selling books, uh, as well as uh, doing things like I'm also a Paul Ekman trainer, who's another leading research in the area. Uh, As a result of that, I now work with Joe as part of the Body Language Academy and provide advice to people around the world on nonverbal communication and uh, body language and decision-making. So in a nutshell, that's, that's me. Fantastic. And we'll come back to the general use of body language in just a second. I'm going to a town that has already been burnt down I'm going to a place that has already been disgraced I'm going to see some folks who have already been let down I'm so tired of America I want to talk about Trump and Biden, in terms of their body language, they've gone through their presidential debates. You and I have watched the final debate as well. Let's do a broad checklist of what you found by watching these debates. Certainly a notch down from the chaotic scenes that we saw during the first presidential debate. First impressions, as we all know, are very important and they can be very lasting. We saw, for example, 
uh, Joe Biden come in wearing his mask for a split second before taking it off and making a very strong show because that is clearly one of the areas that he wants to push. He certainly used that uh, just in the same way that uh, uh, President Trump in the first debate, he pulled a mask out of his pocket. It's part of the show. Maybe it's a bit too theatrical, it's a bit too rehearsed. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, Donald Trump did this very well in the first um, debate. He actually took a very slow walk to the podium and Biden was there in a, in a flash comparatively. And we saw this again in the uh, the vice presidential debate where you had Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. And you would have seen it looked like it was almost comical watching Kamala Harris sort of taking these sort of half steps as she's looking across at uh, Mike Pence, who was going very a lot slower as she tried to sort of match him. She didn't want to be the first one there. She wanted to make most of the time the engagement with the audience before she got down to work uh, behind the podium. And Donald Trump is very good at this. He's very deliberate. You know, he really is good with, you know, he's conscious of his body language and he does use it well. They always have some things that they plan on doing and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. You know, in the debate, we saw as things went on, and certainly as we got into the areas of probably around the healthcare area, and then they went on to talk about sort of minimum wage, immigration, sort of race, drugs. What we saw was Joe Biden get a lot more emotional, uh, a lot more. We saw some anger. How did you see the anger? Anger was coming across as gestures got more, you know, broader and faster. Right. Speech picked up as well, lips got thinner, the eyes sort of come together a bit. Now, that could work both for and against him because, you know, we like to see our politicians be genuine. We like to see them show some, you know, genuine emotion. Um, But at the same time, I think it it started to get a little bit out of control for Joe and he started to make some slip-ups. So you were seeing genuine emotions, but it also affected his delivery of some of his messages you need hands to hold someone you care for. You need hands to show that you're sincere. When you feel nobody wants to know you. Hands to brush away the tears. So with Joe Biden, he was holding, for most of the time actually, David, his pen. Is this because it's a security blanket or is he using it as a weapon? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, the same thing came out during the first presidential debate. He held his pen for quite a bit of that. And I, I really think it's a bit of a pacifier. So he uses it, it sort of, you know, he moves it around in his hand, as many of us do. I've got a pen in my hand as we speak here. Don't stab me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to resist. It's something that does help to calm him, I think. And you see them do all sorts of things like shuffling papers, both of them at different stages while they might write something down, but then you'll see them pick up the papers and put it down. They're sort of self-comforting gestures. It's trying to calm themselves down. It's stimulating the nerves that are in the hands. In the same way you'd see some of them use their tongues there was a bit of tongue poking going on when they were getting a little bit sort of nervous or licking of the lips. From a psychological point of view, does this go back to childhood, all this stuff, especially with tongue poking, I suppose? 
you know, there's there's lots of theories on this. And we've got this thing called the limbic system designed to kick in looking for threats. And then our body automatically responds. And the reason we have a dry mouth, for example, is because, you know, in times of stress, your body's going, okay, we're not going to eat now. So we're going to close off our stomach. So there's no more saliva being produced because you're not going to eat. So your mouth gets dry. Things that happen to us automatically in the same way that we sweat, the heart rate increases, skin might become more sensitive, you know, the freeze, flight and fight responses that sort of kick in. And of course, things in our background do affect how we interact and some of our behaviours. Uh, you know, when adrenaline kicks in, when you're angry, uh, there's all these things that happen to us all. And that comes out in some of these behaviours that we see when they're performing on stage. Trump is always gesticulating with his hands, like going in, out, in, out, open palms. So someone put an accordion in there, looks like he's playing the accordion. What is this about? Ironically, people say he likes being in front of the camera, but what he really likes is being in front of an audience. I don't know if you noticed how many times he looked at the camera as opposed to Joe Biden. Joe Biden looked at the camera and spoke directly to the you know, audience at home quite a bit. Donald Trump rarely did that at all. It was a few small glimpses, but mostly he was talking to the people that were there. That's his natural environment. That's what he loves. And as part of that becomes all the, the gestures that go with that. And he's got a couple of classic ones. He's got this great one that's the sort of the ring-shaped gesture where he's emphasising a point. So he'll sort of take his pointer finger and his thumb together. I'm putting my, okay, put them together, and then what? Thumb and uh, point of finger together and just the other fingers are sort of extended up. And then he uses that to emphasize. He was asked about Black Lives Matter. And he made that gesture when he was saying the first time I had heard of Black Lives Matter, it was a video when they were calling um, the police pigs in a blanket. And when he said pigs in a blanket, he used that gesture to emphasize it, pigs in a blanket. He used it like two or three times to almost in a rhythm. And then oh, right. uh, and when he's talked about the police, he then used another gesture. He used a pointing gesture to sort of indicate the police. So he uses these things for emphasis. I get the pointing gesture, but this other one is fascinating. It's like you're picking something out of the salad bowl. How's that different than pointing then? In Western societies, that means it's okay. If you're, uh, I don't know, South America or somewhere, then uh, then it actually means something quite different. You're likely to be assaulted if you uh, do that to someone. But uh, in this sense, he used it for emphasis and he particularly wanted to, to make that point. Uh-huh. Let's go back to this thing about you're saying in South America. Are you talking about the circle? Yeah. Yeah, when you make a circle with your you know, pointer finger and your thumb. Yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm doing it now. So, so I've got it in front of me so I can see what's happening here. So yes, if a lot of it goes back to the limbic system and it's all about the reptilian mm. brain and all that sort of idea, yes, that is non-cultural specific. Yeah. But you're now saying that in various parts of the world, a gesture which is banal in one part of the world is very offensive in another part of the world, but that's not really a thing to do with the reptilian brain, is it? It's got to do with learnt behaviour rather than inherent behaviour. The reptilian system, the limbic brain, that really controls your emotions and your emotional responses. The sweating, dry mouth, they're things that will happen everywhere in the world. They're universal things that are associated with each of the different emotions. Some of the body language, however, it's always culturally specific. There's body language that might be almost seem universal because everyone uses it. But you can go somewhere in the world where the nod for example, won't mean yes. 
it'll actually mean no. If you're in Bulgaria and you're not, it, that doesn't mean yes. Over there, the shake of the head actually means yes. You've always got to go back to someone's baseline and the context that you're looking at things in. I want to talk to you about the facial exclamation mark, which is when politicians or anybody else for that reason raise their eyebrows. It can be used as a uh, illustrator, is what I call it, where you're trying to illustrate a point. And so you could be saying, and then he jumped up high in the sky and your eyebrows might go up at that stage as uh, you're illustrating that action. Or it could be if, if you walk into a room and you're looking around, to, do you know anyone there? You might catch someone's eye. You'll do that sort of raised eyebrow, that sort of gravity-defying behaviour, which signals that, uh, hello, I'm happy to see you. And the second one I wanted to mention was, I believe, you can correct me if I get this wrong, is called the glabella, which is an area between the eyes. Look at a baby and you squint, that area bunches up a bit. The baby will become sad they know that you're angry that little empty space says a lot doesn't it absolutely and the glabella you got it exactly right it is that space just between the eyebrows up in your forehead there yeah and it's it's a really important area especially in this day and age where a lot of people are wearing masks for example that's one area of the face that's generally uncovered and so yeah you can look at that for sadness is a classic one yeah you think about it sadness is denoted by sure the corners of your lips going down it also involves, involves the eyes and the eyebrows as they sort of come together and sort of go up. And you, you can, I mean, your listeners out there can try this. Mm-hmm. If you make an angry facial expression or if you make a sad facial expression, then you will actually trigger some of those emotions. So people doing that with their eyebrows and turning down the lips as much as they can, you will actually start feeling sad. It's something definitely to look for. It could be sadness there or could also be there's some angry ones depending mm. on what the eyes are doing. Mm. Uh, you, yeah, the upper part of the body can tell you a lot. Yeah. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. With Biden, he uses what I believe is called a universal quantifier where he keeps on saying it's not about the red states, it's not about the blue states, it's about the United States. So it's all about everyone. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Is that a technique? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the main techniques that he used to keep coming back to that point. Trump had his own, for example. He talked about Joe Biden in terms of these politicians. So he was constantly going back and reminding people that right. Joe Biden was a politician, you know, implying that he was not. He was a businessman. He was getting things done. Politicians keep making broken promises. That's what Trump did when he came into office in terms of his last election. Us and them, it was all very divisive. What worked for him before might work again. The next one I've got in my list here is how they stood at the podium. Trump, as I understand it, only from reading reports, has platforms in his shoes. He appears taller, plus it compensates in terms of his weight. Guy is leaning forward. He's not just sort of leaning forward. He's physically got his elbows on there and he's leaning on it. That is his style, though, because he's not the one to hold back. In the first uh, debate, he came in and almost straight away unbuttoned his jacket and leaned forward, um, which for me said that 
I'm here for business. And that's exactly what we got in the first debate. The next thing was the banal politician smiles, which is for every politician. Biden was smiling nonstop. What was going on with Biden's smile? I've never seen the man smile so much. I'm pretty sure it wasn't because he was happy with what he was hearing from Donald Trump. It was a mocking smile, I think. And what we certainly saw from uh, Joe Biden was contempt. Contempt is where you have that corner of your lip that gets pulled up to the side. And that's sort of a universal expression of contempt, where you're feeling morally superior and you're showing that towards uh, someone else or something else. We saw plenty of that from both sides. Biden in particular, we saw that quite a bit. But Donald Trump had his own smug smile that he uses, pulls the lips up, and it's not genuine, absolutely not. That's not a real smile, but that's his sort of uh, contemptuous sort of look to make a point again. Oh, yeah. I only noticed Joe touching his nose. I think I counted about three times. Each time it's a different side of the nose. Everyone knows this, that with body language, something doesn't smell right. Is that really what it's about? He's, he, he may well have a scratch. That's a, it's, it's a possibility. Or it's just another pacifying gesture. We have a lot of nerves in our nose. It's a bit like the yawn. It can be a bit contagious. I'm sure if, if we ask your listeners what they're doing right now, I'm sure some of them will have been touching their noses as we've been talking about this. It can be a pacifying gesture. You know, some people will say when they touch their nose or their mouth, they're lying, but that's just rubbish. Really? There is no universal um, sign of lying. Mm. You're paid and your mentor, Joe, who's famous around the world, he advises and you advise, I understand, up to FBI level in terms of Joe. You guys advise governments on body language and things like this. So surely the number one thing that they're going to be asking you, David, is the bloke lying or not? So you're looking for emotions that aren't genuine. Are they sort of acting happy, but in fact, it's not a real happy look on their face? It's not a genuine facial expression? Or are they pretending to be sad? Is someone comfortable or uncomfortable? Do they demonstrate behaviours that demonstrate that they are uncomfortable? Now, that doesn't mean that they're lying. It might just mean that they really hate the person that's asking them the question, Mm. or maybe they're worried that they're going to answer it the wrong way. Right. So there's a whole lot of reasons that someone might feel a bit off-putting and might then touch their nose because that's a pacifying gesture to calm themselves down. But it doesn't mean they're, they're lying. You can't be absolutely sure. It's very complex. It is absolutely complex. And there is no Pinocchio's nose. There's no magic, despite what some so-called experts out there might tell you. But what you can do by studying this is get better recognising body language and facial expressions and verbal cues. You can then start picking up on when things aren't right, and that can lead to your line of questioning or or whatever else that might mm. lead to something. Um, I've been involved in sort of helping on a couple of murder cases and one was this lady telling her story about what happened when she was there with this boyfriend who got stabbed you would expect that she would be sad but in fact you would seeing signs of pleasure when she was telling that story what signs of pleasure paul ekman calls it duping delight it's these suppressed smiles that she was clearly feeling the emotion of pleasure of happiness as she was telling this story about how this guy was being killed, sort of, you know, was dying in front of her. So for me, straight away, that's, that doesn't make sense. If you were there and this was your boyfriend, you wouldn't be taking pleasure out of this, telling this story. So there's got to be more to this. So that, for me, is my advice there is to the investigating officers is you need to look, go and question her more, look into this because something doesn't match up. And that's an example of where, yeah, you would uh, then 
lead to a line of question. When Donald Trump was asked about reuniting the kids, it had been brought up that the kids had been separated and the moderator asked him, yes, but have you got a plan in place to, to reunite the kids? Donald Trump said, we're trying very hard. Straight away, the language there is, is interesting in, a, in a, of itself. But at the same time, while he had a bit of a head nod, which is what you would expect to be reinforcing, he also had this little head shake, which, which usually means no um, in our context. So as he's saying, yes, we're working on it, yeah, we're trying very hard, you also see this little head shake, which for me just means he's got less confidence in what he's saying. So I would follow up on that. Occasionally you'll see the candidates say one thing but then mm. do a little shoulder shrug and that can also indicate that they've got less confidence in what they're saying. You spoke about the murder case when that involved a woman. That brings me to the subject of body language and men and women. Is it different in terms of reading the signs? Great question. There are different cultural expectations on men and women. We all have this bias about how we see men and women and their roles, and this plays out for some of our leaders in politics. There's an expectation that, for example, that women should be showing more empathy, they should be more nurturing and they should be quieter, whereas men should be more assertive, aggressive, and they should strive for achievements. When you see some of our women politician not fit into that cultural norm, then they could often be criticised for that, whereas a man wouldn't be criticised. This happened, for example, to uh, Hillary Clinton. Her body language often was perceived as her being too distant. Margaret Thatcher is another great example of someone who was coached, Oh yeah, I believe, to have a slightly lower voice because that was seen as being a better attribute for a leader. Would that, was that more like seeing to be more masculine? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in today's world, it's still the same. We still judge people on what they look like, the perceived level of beauty. That all plays into how we see leaders today. In fact, the, there's been research done that shows that if someone is uh, more physically dominant and more beautiful, then they're judged to be a more effective leader and that's regardless of their policy or whatever they uh, they might actually have to say. People can be elected for all sorts of strange reasons. There's another thing, and Joe calls it the beauty dividend. This is the case where you might be chosen because you are you know, more beautiful than average, but then if you fail to live up to expectations, you can also be judged more harshly. It, it will take you so far. But then, you know, you actually have to have some substance if you're uh, if you're going to go for the for the distance. I think now, New Zealand Prime Minister has been re-elected. Anything there in terms of observations on body language? Jacinda Ardern has uh, yeah just been re-elected, quite popular. She's been there during quite a difficult time. There was a, an attack on a mosque last year where dozens of people were killed, and then of course coronavirus going through. So, yeah. But she has been seen as a quite a popular and effective leader in New Zealand, and she's got a effective style of presenting herself and her use of body language is genuine. And I think that's what people really like. She's quite natural in the way that she comes across. She's got a good uh, range of movements and very deliberate movements, but they're quite appropriate for when she's using them. And she's not afraid to show some emotion. Uh, and it's not just, look, body language and nonverbal communication. It's not just about the things we do. It's not just about the movement. It's about everything. Just using what I call the Trump tweezers with that pinching motion that you describe, I want you to use those Trump tweezers 
and pick, say, three different leaders around the world and give us your gut feeling in terms of body language. So from Europe, who would you choose? Let's go with uh, Angela Merkel. Yeah. She's got a famous look, the downward steeple or the diamond, I think it's called, um, for a lot of her supporters, which is where you bring your sort of hands together, you know, your thumbs and all your fingers together. This is a lot that you see a lot of leaders do. Right. I'm doing it. I'm doing it now. Is it like praying? That is that is that what I should be doing? It's like praying, but you move your palms out a little bit so it forms a space in between. I got it. Yeah, that's a steeple. And if you're sitting at your table, you put your uh, your elbows on the table and uh, and hold that. And that's quite a powerful position. It says that you're you're in control. Um, you've, you're controlling the space. Lots of versions of that. You could just have your two fingers extended and the other ones interlaced. For example, Angela Merkel's case, she actually does it downwards. So she'll be standing there and she'll have that position but facing downwards and it will form sort of a diamond, uh, which is a bit of a trademark signature for her in many ways. Mm. She uses body language and her demeanour to great effect. I've seen her in a debate where everyone else will be arguing and talking. She'll just be quietly sitting there Mm. until it's her turn and then she'll she'll make quite the impact. She's not seen as being flustered. She is seen as being in control and her gestures and things like that steeple help reinforce that perception, for example. Okay, let's take another leader. Uh, do you want to take Boris? He's ruffled hair. He's he's known for not, not necessarily looking after his clothes. Now, that's an interesting choice, but I think for him that's that's genuine and it can you know, if I was advising someone who was in business, I would always tell them to, to look after themselves, turn up, be presentable. But the flip side of that is that he's, you know, it can also mean that you're genuine. You can be seen, if you play it right, to be putting more emphasis in your policies and your work than you are about your hair and your clothes. You're saying that Mr. Johnson is more concerned about the public in terms of policies as given away by his choice of garments. I'm saying that that, I think, is is how he's hoping he is perceived. Um, I think there are a lot of people out there that would also look at him and go, if he can't even comb his hair and dress himself properly, then how is he going to look after you know the, the UK economy? It's very difficult to say this means that and that means this, doesn't it? Whatever you're using, whatever body language you're using, it's got to be an extension of yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get better at it, get better habits in the body language you're using. But like Boris Johnson, his gestures can be all over the place. Like he's goes at a thousand miles an hour, and he's got this fist pump thing that he tends to do. Often it doesn't quite match up. Uh, yeah, I guess that energetic, stronger look is what he's trying to achieve by that frenetic body language. Mm. But I think it also works against him. Sometimes it can look like he's a bit out of control and a, and a little bit sort of worked up. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. Your choice from anywhere around the world. Sure. Let's go for Vladimir Putin. In fact, I've met Vladimir Putin when he was in Australia for APEC meetings, the Asia-Pacific Economic Community meetings. We had all the world, 21 world leaders out here in Sydney. So I was looking after a lot of the leaders with my team. Right. I sort of had to uh, take Vladimir Putin up through the Opera House in Sydney. He's very serious, doesn't say much, and he's quite short as well compared to, to those around him. 
he does a great job of managing his image. He's a master when it comes to portraying himself in a certain way. He very much goes for that alpha male, masculine sort of image. And you'll see him in, I don't know, most people have probably seen those uh, photos of him on a horseback or... Yeah, the horse. Yeah, (laughs) with his shirt off or whatever it is. So you can know what sort of, uh, what image he's going for. (laughs) And you see that play out as well in some meetings that he has, be it with Trump or Kim Jong-un, he met with him. And you'll see him. He takes up space. His his legs will be apart. Yeah. He's very controlled. Really? He's very deliberate in what he does, and he does it very well. So, uh, yeah, he, he really, I think, understands the, the importance of body language and he uses to his favour. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting times. Very interesting times, and you're a fascinating guy. Now, how can people get hold of you? I'm the uh, senior mentor and program manager at the Body Language Academy by Joe Navarro. Do a search for Joe Navarro Body Language Academy and you'll find me and the team listed there. One final, final question. You and I, we're not seeing each other. This is all audio. What do you get from me just by listening to my voice? You you certainly have a voice for radio. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm in the right business then. Okay. <laughs> you are. You are. Can you tell about people by listening to their voice as well? Just, just, you know, you've got nothing else, just the voice. And it's not just the tone, the pitch, the volume. It's also the language that people use can tell you a lot about them or how genuine they're being, depending on how they're phrasing things. If they're trying to avoid something, they'll answer indirectly. You, you can certainly tell a lot even by listening to people. At the end of the day, this is all about a genuine interest in people. Right. You will learn fascinating things about people and body language will help you to understand people better. So that's that's what I think is actually really important. Develop better relationships and understand people a lot better. Thank you very much, David. It's a real privilege to speak to such an eminent person such as yourself. So thank you again. Thank you. It's a pleasure uh, talking. Great. And until next time, people, there's a lot more being said than you are hearing. There's a lot more being said than you're seeing. It's all about a holistic package. Maybe when we can understand that about others, we might just be able to understand a little bit more about ourselves. Body language. Body language. Body language. Thought and Leaders is a goodbye production. If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinventatme.com, that's reinventatme.com, or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com, that's thoughtandleaders.com. Ha, ha. Body language. Body language.